Hello and welcome to another episode of Demimond Paranormal Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Tori from Demimond Paranormal on Facebook.com. In tonight's episode, I am going to be taking you guys to three ghost towns that are either abandoned, haunted, or even cursed. Or maybe some of these towns are all three. They're abandoned, they're haunted, and they're cursed. So join me as we take a walk through the allegedly haunted towns of Alton, Illinois, Dudley Town in Connecticut, and Centralia in Pennsylvania. So, without any further ado, let's just dive right in to tonight's episode. But before we do that, I want to give a thank you to all of my listeners from all around the world. You guys are really great, and I hope to see more of you. And I hope you guys are interested enough to keep clicking these links and listen to me ramble about the paranormal. I've got to say, this is just an idea that came to me while doing research for a new topic for tonight's episode. And I thought to myself, you know what? We haven't done haunted towns before. I mean, it's kind of a rarity for a whole town to be haunted. But you do hear of it eventually, you know, sporadically. So, and I thought, you know what? Let me research up what are some of the most haunted towns around the world. Or in this case, in the United States. Probably later in the podcast series, we're going to do haunted towns and cities from all around the world. So, let's dive right in to our first haunted or abandoned town. And that is located in Pennsylvania. And you may know it as Centralia. So join me for our second segment, won't you? And we'll dive into the mystery that has been burning for years. Well, alright, 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 and welcome to our first segment, Centralia Edition. (laughs) 
Now, you may know Centralia as being the inspiration for the video game and movie franchise Silent Hill. But in tonight's episode, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit of the backstory behind Pennsylvania's Centralia and what led to the fires burning underground for 60 years. But before we do that, I just want to take a little minute to kind of, you know, chat you guys up a little bit and tell you guys that, you know, right before I started recording, well, hours before I started recording, I like to take walks, you know, to, to just clear my mind and, you know, kind of prepare for two for tonight's recording and i took a walk on the trail and i saw it was the most lovely wildflowers and it was just so peaceful i mean i collect wildflowers bring them home and put them in vases put them all over my bedroom and i have a collection of goldenrod and sweet pea and cornflowers and coneflowers and all that good stuff snapdragons, you name it. It really is just the little things that can reward you. But before we start rambling about wildflowers, let's get down to the spooky things, shall we? Now let's get down to the abandoned town of Centralia. Now, Centralia, Pennsylvania, was once a bustling mining center. About a century ago, Centralia was a little, busy, small town filled with shops, residents, and brisk mining businesses. Now, coal from local mines fueled its homes and its economy. About 1,200 residents worked, played, and lived in this tight-knit neighborhood of Centralia. Now, Centralia today, as we know it, is completely abandoned. Most of its buildings are gone, and smoke wafts down graffiti-strewn highways where a prosperous town once stood. It's a complete ghost town. And why did it become a ghost town? Well, it's all due to a mine fire that had been burning for over 50 years, resulting in a devastation of the community and the eviction in of, his, of its residents. Now, coal seam fires are nothing new, but Centralia's is the United States' worst one in all of histories. It's the most devastating. And before 1962, when the fire broke out, Centralia had become a mining center for over a century.
Now, the mining of coal began in Centralia in the 1850s. Now, mining life defined in Centralia, it brought in the rough and tumble residents to its seedier side. And during the 1860s, the town was home to members of the Molly Maguires, which was a secret society that originated in Ireland and made its way into the American coal mines along with Irish immigrants in the late 1860s, Molly Maguires were suspected to have committed a rash of violence within Centralia. Now, the Molly Maguires were implicated in everything from the murder of the town's founder, who was Alexander Ray, to the death of the area's first priest. Eventually, after a brutal attempt to subdue the Mollies in the execution of some groups of some of the group's suspected leaders in 1877, the crime wave had ended. However, the crime wave may have ended but Centralia's dependence on mining did not, and by 1890, it was home to over 2,700 2, people, and most of them were miners and their family members. And when the Great Depression struck a heavy blow to the coal mining in industry in Centralia, it didn't actually kill the town. So a crime wave didn't kill the town, and the Great Depression didn't kill the town, but a great tragedy did. And it's not exactly clear how this tragic fire began. But it does seem to have started with the Centralia landfill, which was an abandoned mine pit that had been converted into a garbage dump in 1962. In trash, there was a thorny issue in Centralia, but as it was full of unregulated dumps in the city, council wanted to solve a problem with unwanted odors and rats. In May of 1962, the city council proposed cleaning up the local landfill in time for Centralia's Memorial Day festivities. Although competing theories 
exists about how the fire had sparked. It's thought that the Centralia dump fire sparked a much larger mine fire beneath the town. Soon, a fire was raging in a coal seam beneath Centralia. It spread to mine to mine. Tunnels beneath town streets and the local mines closed due to unsafe carbon monoxide levels. Multiple attempts were made to evacuate and put the fire out, but all of them failed. The reason, ironically, is the aftermath of the, of the mining that defined Centralia for all those years. There were so many abandoned mine tunnels in that area. Many or all of them could be fueling the fire. And it could be extremely expensive and likely impossible to figure out which ones struck the fire and to close off every single one of them. As the years went on, the ground beneath the city itself became hotter and hotter, reaching over 900 degrees in some locations. Smoke poured from sinkholes and gas-filled basements. Residents started to report health problems and homes began to tilt. Um, graves in the town's two biggest cemeteries are believed to have dropped into the abyss of fire that rages below them. Even earlier that year, a 12-year-old boy fell into a sudden sinkhole created by the fire, but he barely escaped death. By then, it was too late for Centralia. Rather than put out the fire, Congress decided to buy out its residents, paying them to move. Then, in 1992, Pennsylvania moved to kick the holdouts out for good. All of Centralia's buildings were condemned, and the zip code was eliminated. Seven residents remained via court order. They are forbidden from passing down their property or selling it. Oh, and I forgot to mention, y'all, that when I was talking about the 12-year-old boy who fell into the sinkhole and when the graves sunk into the fiery abyss below, that was in 1981. I didn't put a year. Sorry for that. And it was in Centralia was officially condemned as a whole town, aside from the seven residences in 1992. 
So, today, Centralia still burns as one of 38 known active mining fires in Pennsylvania. According to the State's Department of Environmental Protection, the fire could burn for another century if left uncontrolled. Modern-day Centralia is known as much for the blaze in the graffiti that covers it in its abandoned highways as for the mining that once sustained it. According to geologist Steve Jones, putting out the blaze is putting out, he quoted putting out the blaze from beneath Centralia as putting it out is the impossible dream. So that's the story of Centralia, and from what I understand of it, is that you used to be able to visit it, but only for a short while, because recently I learned that now you cannot visit visit it at all. It's completely unsafe, and you will be stopped by authorities if you try. So that about does it for Centralia, and I will see you guys in the next segment. And welcome back to another segment. So, we've just left Centralia, Pennsylvania, and now we're headed to Connecticut, the haunted and cursed town of Dudley Town. Or the town of Dudley, whichever one you call it. Now, this story, y'all, is quite the crazy one. Let me tell you, I've never heard of this town before. I think I just, you know, briefly heard about it on Monday or Tuesday, and I thought, huh, I've never heard of this place, but I bet you would make a good podcast topic for at least a segment or maybe a whole episode. But for now, we got a little segment on there. Now, apparently... This town gave inspiration for the found footage film, The Blair Witch. It was also visited by Ed and Lorraine Warren in the 1970s. 
it was the Warrens who claimed that the town, the town itself, was demonically possessed. Now, Deadly Town is hidden deep in the woods of Cornwall, Connecticut. Not Cornwall, England, but Cornwall, Connecticut. It was founded in the early in the early 1740s, and it was completely abandoned by the 1920s. Since then, rumors of hauntings and even a curse in the town began to circulate. The Dudley family, who was the namesake of the town, their relative Edmund Dudley was said to be beheaded by King Henry VII for treason. Since then, the king is said to have cursed the Dudley family for generations and centuries to come, every single member of the Dudley family. I'd like to taste a real Italian coffee, please. What is the real Italian coffee? Now, the Dudleys are thought to have seemed to brought their family curse to the United States. However, the whole King Henry VII thing is, according to some sources, although there's no actual proof that it is the same Dudley family that had moved to the United States from England. It could be a, an entirely different country. Nobody really knows for sure. Over the years, the Dudley family was blamed for bringing terrible luck and tragedy and heartbreak to the town. Within the Dudley town, poor agriculture conditions, epidemics such as Tuberculosis ran rampant in the 18th and 19th centuries. One family died mysteriously within the Dudley town and a woman was struck by lightning and she was killed instantly. Her, hus her husband was thought to have gone insane right after hearing the news of her strange circumstance of her death. Suicides were also common within the town, as the conditions were so awful. In 1892, a man named John Broffrey moved into town with his wife and his children. His wife died of, like we said, TB or tuberculosis, and his children, now get this y'all, his children disappeared into the woods surrounding the town. Nobody knows what happened to them. According to some sources, this drove John Burfrey insane, and also according to other sources, they state that he spent the rest of his life, his final days, ranting and raving about demons and horrifying beasts that he saw in and around the town.
Eventually, his house burnt to the ground, and some say that John perished in the fire, but others claim that he left the ruins of his former home and disappeared into the woods, just as his children did. He may have died in 1901. Visitors of the area report eerie stillness in the air. Wildlife would not normally inhabit the area, and people have reported hearing terrifying, unearthly screams and shrieks in the town. Interestingly enough, scientists have vis- that have visited the area have found metals in the water, such as lead, which may have led to waves of sickness and madness. Lead could lead to brain damage and organ damage. Today, Dudley Town is completely abandoned and littered with graffiti. It's now on private property, so no trespassing. It's basically all in ruins now, and just a dirt path leads up to the once cursed town of Dudley Town. Our next haunted town is located in Illinois. This town is known as Alton. Now, Alton, Illinois, famous writer and author Mark Twain once referred to it as a dismal little river town. Now, Alton, Illinois has a sordid past filled with war, death, and destruction. The town itself has been investigated many times for its countless reports of paranormal activity. Some of the most haunted buildings in the town are the McPike Mansion, the First Unitarian Church, and the Milton School. Alton is named one of the most haunted towns in America. The Mississippi River runs right through it. And it was a mighty part of the Underground Railroad, making connections for slaves to to freedom in the northern states. So now I bring you guys all you listeners, some of the most haunted Headed to the beach. locations in Alton. The Milton House School was built in 1904, and it was successful running up until 1986. 
It was the main school for Alton, although after it closed, it became a factory for Intaglio Design, and since then, other businesses have taken residency there. There is a story about a little girl named Mary who haunted the area. As the story goes, one day Mary was finishing up a bulletin after school in in her classroom all alone. And just as sunset began, Mary realized that she ought to go right home before her mother worried about her. As she was skipping down the stairs towards the gymnasium doors, she heard a strange noise behind her. And legend has it that Mary was found the next day in the girls' locker room with torn clothes and battered with blood. When Intaglio Designs took residence there, they noticed strange happenings in the building. They heard disembodied footsteps and objects that would go missing and then reappear from the office. And one man claims that he saw the figure of a little girl. Our next location is the First Unitarian Church. It was built in 1830, and it was called St. Matthew's Church. And 20 years later, it burnt to the ground. Then the Unitarian Church purchased the land and rebuilt the church for themselves. In 1901, another fire occurred which burnt the church once again right down to its foundation. The church that stands today was built in 1905. Now here comes the interesting part, y'all. Reverend Philip Mercer became a well-respected preacher at the age of only 18. Can you guys imagine that? 18 years old and being this really well-respected preacher. I mean, people from all over would come to listen to this kid or this guy preach. Now, Philip Mercer was originally from England, but he was such a great, you know, speaker that everyone, young and old, from all around, you know, that area, and then some, would come and listen to him talk. He did the gospel really great. However... One night in November of 1934, he found himself ill. He would shake uncontrollably, and he was barely able to speak. 
but then he made a visit to a friend by the names of James McKinney. After a few days of not seeing Philip Mercer, James went to the church to find him. Well, he found Philip hanging in the doorway of the minister's study, dead. Since his death, there has been reports of voices and shadowy figures coming from the basement of the church, and also the piano plays by itself, and sometimes the doors will open and close by themselves as well. And our last building from the haunted town of Alton is the McPike Mansion. Now, this is Alton's most haunted mansion or house. McPike Mansion was built in 1869, and it was also investigated by countless paranormal teams and investigators. The mansion's original owner was Henry Guest McPike, and the McPike family owned 15 acres of land, which they named Mount Lookout Park. The house itself has not been occupied since the 1950s, despite this mansion being originally a very regal addition to the Alton town. Vandalism in weather led to its despair. Sharon and George Lutke Lutke now own the house, and they are trying to repair this house into its once very regal state. When they bought it, they had no idea that it was haunted, but people have reported seeing orbs of light and figures of people in the background of photographs that weren't there before, and they don't know who these people are. According to some sources, the haunting dates back to before the mansion was built. It dates back to the property or the land. It's said to may have residual spirits of Native Americans and also the spirits of slaves who sought freedom but died along the way in the Underground Railroad. There's also several stories, including a cook in the kitchen and a mysterious death of a woman in the bathtub. Also, Eleanor and Henry McPike are said to haunt the corridors of McPike Mansion. So that about does it for the Towns of Desolation for tonight's episode. I will see you guys in the next segment.
And now for our final segment before the outro, I want to share a couple stories, a couple scary paranormal true stories with y'all that has been found from all over the web, some from Reddit, some from, from somewhere else. So our first story is from a website called Movie Pilot. And this is from the author or the writer or the original poster, I should say, Michelle Froelich Young. So to begin her story, I quote, When my daughter was two, I found her twirling paper towel tubes tied with twine in the air. I asked her what she was doing, and she said she was practicing her nunchucks. I was very confused, as she'd have no way of knowing what they were. I asked her what she meant, and she said that Adam had told her how to make them and showed her each night how to use them. She went on to say that Adam told her to practice because she may, she may need to know how to defend herself someday. I almost freaked out, but asked her what Adam looked like. She said he was tall, blonde, and had blue eyes. She said, Mommy, you know what he looks like. You know him. He died of a headache. I had to leave the room. You see, four months before she was born, my tall, blonde, Blue-eyed martial arts pro friend had died of a brain aneurysm at the age of 27. She had not spoken of him since that day, so I'm not sure if I scared her with my reaction or if she had completed her lessons. So our next story is from Shoop Whoop from Reddit. And to begin the story, I quote Scoop Whoop when I begin. When my sister Betsy and I were kids, our family lived for a while in a charming old farmhouse. We loved exploring its dusty corners and climbed the apple tree in the backyard. But our favorite thing was the ghost. We called her mother because she seemed so kind and nurturing. Some mornings Betsy and I would wake up and on each of our nightstands we'd find a cup that hadn't been there the night before. Mother had left them there, worried that we'd get thirsty during the night. She just wanted to take care of us. Among the home's original furnishings was an antique wooden chair, which kept 
which we kept against the back wall of the living room. Whenever we were preoccupied watching TV or playing a game, Mother would inch that chair forward across the room towards us. Sometimes she'd manage to move it all the way to the center of the room. We always felt sad putting it back against the wall. Mother just wanted to be near us. Years later, long after we moved out, I found an old newspaper article about the farmhouse's original occupant, a widow. She'd murdered her two children by giving them, giving them each a cup of poisoned milk before bed. She then hung herself. The article included a photo of the farmhouse's living room, with a woman's body hanging from a beam. Beneath her, knocked over, was that old wooden chair placed exactly in the center of the room. So, with those two spooky little true paranormal stories, I hope those kind of, you know, make you think, hmm, did it just get a little colder in the room in the middle of summer? <laughs> but that second story, man, that was creepy. I mean, the first story I thought was kind of sweet. I like to do a mixture of both sweet and spooky. There's always a silver lining, no matter how dark the cloud gets. But may this be a lesson to all of you out there. That maybe something may seem kind and nurturing and gentle. But always have your guard up. As that one movie title says... Even lambs have teeth. So we've made it to the end of tonight's episode. I want to thank each and every one of y'all for tuning in for a new episode of Demimond Paranormal Podcast. And I hope to see you guys back here next week, preferably next Friday, for an all-new episode with a fresh new topic. And I want to thank all my listeners from the United States and also, all my listeners from all around the world. I mean, we've got listeners from Canada, Italy, Japan, all over the place. The Isle of Man, I mean, 
We've got quite a few countries, which is really honoring to think about that we've reached out that far into the world. So, at the end of the podcast, I want to thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you again. And for right now, have sweet dreams. Be safe. Be kind to one another and make good choices. And as always, stay spooky. Also, before I go, if you would like one of the more paranormal stories featured on Demimond Paranormal Podcast, all you have to do is send me your story. Either here on Anchor or on Facebook.com. I'd be honored to tell the story or you can tell the story yourself. Have a guest spot on Demimond Paranormal. Alright, with that being said, I'm signing off for tonight. As always, I'm Tori, your host, and I will see you next Friday. Until then, stay spooky. Gee. <laughs>